thankful that it still speaks, that the word of God still speaks as loud and clear as when it was written. And for the people that you allow us to observe in these months together as we center our thoughts around your word that have so much to teach us about life and godliness. And I'm so thankful that they are just ordinary people serving an extraordinary God. And in that name, we come to you this morning asking you to speak to us as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I want to ask you a question. How many of you either were that kind of child or are raising a child who has to learn every single lesson the hard way? I'm not even sure which one you are, whether you were that kind of child or are raising a kind of child. Not on every lesson has to be learned the hard way, but every so often in life we have those kids that come in and out of our lives who have to seem to learn every single lesson the hard way. My brother was one of those. I've often wondered what it would be like had he been the preacher and I'd been the other guy who would have these sermon illustrations about me all the time, but he gave me a life full of sermon illustrations just watching his life. Every time we gather together at a Thanksgiving time or a meal time or a, a, a time where the family gets together at some point or the other, we'll talk about some of the lessons we've learned at life. One of the reasons I go hunting tomorrow is not to hunt deer, although I'm enjoying it when I get one, it's for that noon meal. My mother's a great cook, but it's not necessarily what she cooks. It's when we all gather together and we'll talk again about some of the dumb things that either of us have done and some of the lessons we've learned through that process. A couple of months ago, we sat together at my mother and dad's 60th anniversary, and I remember my dad leaning over to my brother and said again, would you remind me again of why I had to go to school so many times to get you back in? I wasn't sure whether he actually forgot or he just loved the stories. But there was always those kinds of occurrences where my dad would have to go to the school and say, I need you to let my son back into school one more time, and hopefully he'll graduate at some point and be out of your hair. Not every lesson has to be learned that way, but so many times in life, we've learned so many of our lessons, and I'm sure you have as well, the hard way. What I hope is that you've learned lessons. You've watched people around you, you've learned to be an observer of life or an observer of humanity and to determine the kind of people that you would want to watch and learn from. Every once in a while, when my girls would do something that didn't make sense, I would say to them, did you learn anything from this? And then when I did something stupid, which was quite often, they would look at me and say, did you learn anything from this? My favorite time is when I do that to my wife and say to her, did you learn anything from this? Just to get the look. Life's lessons aren't always reserved for our kids. Churches learn lessons through the years. You and I sit in an auditorium this morning that is beautiful, but we stand on the history of 105 years of just Community Alliance Church, let alone the Church of Jesus Christ for the last 2,000 years. And there are some wonderful lessons that God teaches us through the years that I hope people have learned from. There are so often bad things that churches have done and things they have done to hurt people or pastors or people in the pew and and I hope that through the years as they've watched that or have seen the things that God may have taught them or just simply the amazing things that God has done and provided, that they learn from that and they're able to go on and share those stories with those that come on behind them as I held that little one this morning in my hands. Great churches learn not to live in the past, whether it be good or bad, but they learn the lessons of life and are able to transfer them into how they now work as a church or work as a unit or communicate to the next generation who follows after them. 
Churches not only learn, but nations certainly need to learn lessons as well. It was fascinating. I think I read a statistic a long time ago that uh, churches increased almost 30% shortly after 9-11. But before the year 2002, church attendance almost went back to the same. After just a few short months of that spike where everybody went to church to try to find some answers to the uncertainty of life, only sadly to not have evidently learned enough from that to recognize that God really is the only answer in life and certainly the only answer to the uncertainty of life. It's been interesting over the last number of months, but especially the last couple of weeks as I looked what was going on in some of the issues in the Middle East and Northern Africa now compared to a year ago as all of those nations in Northern Africa and the Middle East began to surge from the inside out and have an uprising to cast out leadership. I found myself watching this on television saying, certainly you know something's going to fill that void, right? Certainly you know that if you pull this leader down, whoever he may be, however horrible he may be, certainly needs to be ousted. But you do know to prepare yourself for what's going to fill that leadership seat because no leadership seat ever stays empty. I wanted to say that to high school kids. When they grew up in church and had a godly example in front of them and had godly people who walked in front of them and then decided that godliness and holiness and church and all of those things weren't necessary for their life. And so they decided to send all that away or push it all away or in the backside of life somewhere and go out, do, it, do their own thing and live on their own and empty themselves of all the things that Christ had done in their life up to that point. And I wanted to say to them, you do know something else is going to fill that void. And either you will implode or explode if you fill it with the wrong thing because it's only meant to be filled with Jesus. And some of them have learned through life, and many of them come back to church saying, I thought it would be great to live life on my own, do my own thing, walk away from my family's faith and my parents' faith, only to find out that really was what I needed most in life. And you've all been around people who sadly do not learn those lessons and end up walking away from it all, only to find themselves filled with all the wrong things and wondering where things went wrong. Over the next few weeks, we're going to wrap up our series on Nehemiah, and what fascinates me about him is he had so many wonderful lessons for us to learn. This is Thanksgiving weekend, and many of you have gathered together, I'm sure, with family and friends, and some are here, and some have already left. College students have returned for the weekend, and I hope you took the opportunity to share around a family meal at some point or the other to talk about some of the things you've done and some of the things you've learned. I've learned a lot from my folks. I've learned how to work for my dad and love for my mom, and I'm delighted at the combination of the two. But I've also learned some things based on what I've seen growing up that I didn't want to do. And I would certainly change and certainly have changed. And I hope you've done the same. Nehemiah, to me, is a great study on so many different levels. His faith, his dependence on God, his prayer life, his leadership ability is one that others ought to emulate on a regular basis. What I love about these guys is what God tells me in James chapter 5, and that is this. These are ordinary individuals who serve an extraordinary God. Every once in a while when I put one of these men on a pedestal or one of these ladies on a pedestal that I read about in Scripture and see their amazing faith and their exploits for God and things they did and the way they lived life and the way they loved and the way they served and the way they led, I somehow put them on a pedestal thinking I'll never reset or never be there and then God constantly brings me back to this verse in Ephesians. These are ordinary people. They're ordinary people like you and I. Talks about Elijah in that context, but he just simply reminds me these are ordinary individuals who love and serve an extraordinary God, but they're really no different than you. 
And so if you learn their lessons and live the life that God is calling you to, I'm guaranteeing you, you can see some amazing things that God has done in your life and will do in your life if you just simple, simply realize I'm an ordinary individual placing my hands and my life in the hands of an extraordinary God who's going to lead me in amazing ways. It's interesting to watch people through life. I'm a, an observer of human, human nature and people. Over the last few weeks, I, in a very unusual way, have been pulled into the knock situation and to a young man named Andrew Rumberg Goodland. Been in the paper over the last few weeks. His story again was in the weekend in the Trib. He's an interesting young man. I could talk about him because obviously I got his parents' permission to do that. Doesn't go to our church, so it doesn't make anybody feel uncomfortable, and I would have a hard time choosing in our audience who I'd want to talk about because there's some great models in our audience here. But it is interesting watching Andrew over the last few weeks. He's a 17-year-old young high school senior who I would call the, the, the Tebow of Knock High School or high school sports. Tebow is the guy that played for Florida and now plays for the Denver Broncos who constantly affirms his faith. And every time that anybody asks him what's the most important thing in your life, is it football or anything else, he would always point to Jesus. And he's taken a lot of heat for that. But he certainly has always lived his faith. He bows his knee before every game, not just in an obligatory way like so many do, but in a real genuine way because Jesus really is the center of his life. It seems to be that way for Andrew. He's a wonderful young man with deep faith and passion, with great parents. He lost his birth dad before his first birthday and had another guy come into his life named Bob who's done a phenomenal job in his life. And Bob and Gina have done a great job raising these three boys in, in a godly example. And Andrew, if you know the story, a few weeks ago lost his high school sweetheart in the accident on Hennestown Road. They had dated since seventh grade to 12th grade. They had made a covenant to each other that they would finish out this year well. They played well in football and they really wanted to play in Heinz Field. And he said, I'll make sure that we get to Heinz Field. I'll do my best so that you can cheer in Heinz Field. And obviously yesterday they went without her. He died in that accident that night on Hennestown Road, and Andrew made a commitment that he would do everything he could to lead his team well, knowing that he was in a difficult situation being a high school senior with everybody's eyes and all those eyes looking at him. But he really did play well. He played hard, played his heart out. And every place and every chance he had, he constantly pointed to Christ. His life verse and the team's life verse was Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. A few days ago, he had a, question he asked his mom and dad he said i want to get a tattoo and of course that was a debate and we can debate that till jesus comes back and i'm sure you'll have opinions of it one way or the other and and uh but he said can i get one and they said sure what do you want he said well i want to put a heart in the back and i want to put philippians 4:13, and i want to put the gates of heaven in memory of, of alex and mom said why do you want to do that he said well i, I i've learned to put it behind me but i will always know it's there Oh, that's, that's great insight for a 17-year-old kid. Over the weekend, he had the opportunity to share on a number of occasions with younger students and younger football players who was watching his life, and he shared his story and shared his faith and shared his love for Christ. And my prayer, obviously, is he will continue to live that way and continue to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength and shine. It's been interesting watching him and Mike King, the coach, who after last week's victory in every situation, get down on their knees and pointed toward heaven and recognized that they had what they had because of God. And it wasn't an obligatory prayer or a prayer that so many people just pray because they're supposed to in a setting like that. Mike led these kids in prayer. It's always interesting in life to watch people, whether they be young or old or a high school senior or a 75-year-old saint, 
to watch how they live the life that God has called them to and live it so that others can watch them. And a 58-year-old guy like me can learn, watch a 17-year-old kid respond to triumph and tragedy in really wonderful ways. And I find myself not always responding so well to either end of the spectrum. And I'm often fascinated and intrigued by people who I've observed, and many of them here in our audience this morning, who learn life and live life so well and have others follow them and others look at them and say, that's a great life. They're, they're living such wonderful lessons in front of their kids or in front of their grandkids. And I, I find myself saying, Lord, I, I want it to be said of me as well, not out of arrogance or any other reason, but to know that I've lived such a life that others who watch me want to emulate some of the character traits that maybe I've displayed. And I hope that's the same for you. Because these really are ordinary individuals who serve an extraordinary God, who just want us to follow him with every fiber of our being and learn the things that God wants to teach us and then be in places or positions where God can use us in a small way or in a very large way. They lost yesterday in Heinz Field, and um, it was interesting to see the Saxonburg community just rally around these kids last night and rally around a good, good, really good guy named Mike. And... Um, it's fascinating to watch. God teaches us things in very unique ways at times. A couple of weeks ago, I received an email from one of the people that I would consider a prayer partner, and I asked her permission without her name to read some of it this morning because it was unique insights to what so often happens, even in a church. She writes this, Last weekend, I was asked by a pastor to visit a church that he had recently take over. The church had gone through some difficult times, and he wanted my insights. I sat and observed the church, and I looked at the people around me, and I really became abundantly aware of the Blessings that God has bestowed on Community Alliance. I was never so grateful or more appreciative of each and every aspect of the church I call my home. Too often we take for granted what's directly in front of us because we sometimes become accustomed to the experience. Amazingly, I saw firsthand how the Spirit of God truly rises on each and every occasion, every Sunday as I gather at Community Alliance. I'm touched and blessed and I'm rekindled on to live the fire and the life that God has lived in me. I was able to see that particular Sunday morning, the difference within confines of another church in its inability to see God move in really wonderful ways that I see on a regular basis. Couldn't figure it out. I come home that night and listen to my family excited and amazed at the service they had just experienced without me, and I find myself sad. I, too, had gone to church just as they did, yet I had felt like I'd missed Sunday completely. I honestly didn't know what insights I could give, and then I realized that it was the Holy Spirit that was missing. I had become so accustomed to it that for that brief moment, God opened my eyes and allowed me to experience a place where it had become suppressed and sadly lost. You see, too often we take for granted what's directly in front of us. We become accustomed to the experience until you see a place that doesn't have it, and then you find yourself appreciating what you have. Nehemiah can teach us a lot of lessons on life, and I want to share some of them with you this morning. From the very beginning, he shows us an utter dependence on God and an incredible prayer life. When he finds out what's going on in a city that he loved and adored and the walls of Jerusalem not being rebuilt yet and the city still in rubbles and ruins, he finds his very first instinct is to turn his face toward God. So often we find ourselves at time, if we're not careful, having that as one of our last resorts. And all the way through the book of Nehemiah, every single time he faced a difficult circumstance and faced a difficult issue, he found himself on his face before God. Nehemiah chapter 1 begins, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. I spent days fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And then he pours out his life to God. As your kids watch you and as you even observe your own life, I am 
here to tell you that your prayer life does and my prayer life reveals a lot about my dependence upon God. I am absolutely confident in the sovereignty of God. I am comfortable teaching that. I'm comfortable declaring that. I am absolutely certain that God knows everything, can do anything, and has a plan in place for everything. But I am just as certain that I can come to God and ask him to change any circumstance, even if it seems impossible. I am certain of the sovereignty of God, and I trust that implicitly. But I am just as certain that I can come to God and ask him to change any circumstance, any situation, even if it seems impossible. Some of you may be thinking this morning, I've asked God to change the impossible, and it hasn't come. My encouragement to you is to keep asking and keep trusting because somebody's watching your life and how you're responding to the circumstances around you. Nehemiah displays a fascinating balance between taking issues before the Lord in prayer and getting actively involved in every situation. Fascinating balance between taking issues before the Lord in prayer and getting actively and personally involved in every situation. I find it fascinating when people come to me and tell me they're praying for a family member or a friend, somebody that they want to come to faith in Christ, but have never, ever taken an active role in witnessing to them. I find it unique that someone would spend so much time praying for someone that they know or a family member or friend to come to faith in Christ, but have never, ever, ever once witnessed to them. And I wonder every once in a while if God is not in heaven saying, get up off your knees and tell them. We ought to pray, and I'm telling you, there's a lot of people I've been praying for. But I think every once in a while, God would simply say from heaven, get up off your knees, quit asking me, I've already given you the answers, tell them. Tell them what you have found in me. And Nehemiah constantly, continually, all the way through this process, reminds me and reminds you that every once in a while, God calls us to be actively involved in the things he's calling us to do. We better spend some time on our knees before God and on our face before God in prayer, but he also gives us gifts and abilities and talents and resources and expects us to use them. Nehemiah displayed an uncanny balance between confidence in God in facing the problems and a healthy self-confidence in the abilities that God has given him to handle any situation. A belief in what God has enabled you, gifted you, and called you to do, and then doing it isn't arrogance. Thinking that it's on your own strength or your own abilities or by your own power that you're doing it certainly is. But a confidence in what God has enabled you to do, God has blessed you to do, and what God has gifted you to do isn't arrogance. And the opposite is true that I struggle with at times. Acting like you're a nobody in life or can't do anything in life is acting as if God didn't know what he was doing when he made you and didn't know what he was doing when he gifted you. Acting like you're a nobody in life and can't seem to do anything is acting like God didn't know what he was doing when he made you and didn't know what he was doing in gifting you. What I watch in Nehemiah's life is an incredible balance between total confidence in what God was able to do and a healthy self-confidence in the ability God has given him and what God has called him to do. Nehemiah had a healthy respect for those in authority over him and the benefits of a job well done. When he found himself after hearing what had taken place in Jerusalem and what he, was calling him, what he felt God was calling him to do, he found himself having to go before a king that was his captor in a sense and Ask him for not only a leave of absence, but a significant leave of absence, and then ask him to help pay for some of the resources so that he could back and rebuild Jerusalem. 
And chapter 2, verse 5 is a clinic on leadership. When he simply comes to the king and said, if it pleases the king, and if I, your servant, have found favor in your sight, then would you send me away to Jerusalem so that I can rebuild it? A great reminder out of that, and one constantly that I put in front of my own face, is that leadership has much more to do with who I am than where I am on the organizational chart. Leadership has much more to do with who I am and what God's called me to do than where I am on the organizational chart. And Nehemiah never, never ever let his position of authority or leadership remove him or put him in an elevated position above the people that he was called to serve. Jesus constantly struggled with those things with his own disciples, and he does with all of us at one time or the other. When he kind of found his disciples removing themselves or putting themselves in another pedestal, I can't even imagine what it must have been like to hang around with Jesus. And if you're a disciple, what it felt like when everybody else, thousands of people were flocking around him and you were on the inner circle. Not only just the 12, I can't even fathom what it must have been like to be Peter, James, and John who were always in the inner circle. And then John was the one who identified himself as the one whom Jesus loved. On a number of occasions, Jesus called his disciples in and he said, I just need to tell you something or at least remind you. The Greeks lord it over people when they're in leadership positions and they make sure that everyone knows their title and their position and that they're there to serve them. My followers don't do that. My followers are always called and always will be called to serve. Wherever you are in a leadership chart, doesn't really matter your title. But great leaders, wherever they are, learn how to always serve the people they've been called to lead and never put themselves in positions above those that God has placed them in those positions. He never appeared to be better than the people that he served and the people that he led. Nehemiah didn't let the attacks from his enemies ever slow him down or discourage him from the task that God has assigned to him. Every single turn that Nehemiah finds himself in that book, you will see him constantly bombarded with all the things going on around him. But he never let it deter him. That's easier said than done. When I look at these ordinary individuals who were constantly bombarded with all kinds of criticism, all kinds of critique, and all kinds of attacks from every end of the spectrum, I find myself saying, God, I want to stand strong and stand tall, and I want to make sure that I can continue to handle all the stuff that comes at me and never be discouraged or give up or give in because of all those issues. Because if this ordinary individual can do it, and you preserve your word for 3,000 years, I believe that you're calling me to do it as well. The final thing that I want to make sure that we remember out of his life is that he never overlooked injustice when he saw it. He didn't overlook disparity when he saw it in front of his eyes. In his case here, you remember the story we rehearsed weeks and weeks ago of seeing his own countrymen being in difficult situations and finding that he could respond to that and could do something about it. Many people even were being taken advantage of and he put an end to that and did whatever he could to step in so that those who were in difficult situations or wrestling with issues that they couldn't help themselves with. He did whatever he could to supply their needs. During these next four weeks, you and I are going to be um, in situations and in circumstances that we may not normally find ourselves in because we will find that we're going into places and dealing with people who may not have what we have, may not have been blessed as we have been blessed, or may not have what you have. I believe that over the next few weeks during now and between Christmas and New Year's that God will bring somebody into your life who may not be near as blessed as you are and may not have the resources that you do or the ability to meet the needs of their family 
like you and I are. And my hope is, and my prayer is for myself, you want to for yourself as well, is that I really live these four weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas with really open eyes. And I'm aware of the people around me who may not be as blessed and may be struggling and may be treated mis- unfairly that, that I could influence or that I could help or that I could make a difference in their life. And I just simply want to spend these next four weeks living life with really open eyes so that as Nehemiah did, when he sees a situation that doesn't seem fair or doesn't seem right, and he can respond to that or meet that need to do it. We can learn a lot of lessons from God. And people can learn a lot of lessons from watching our life. And what I find myself asking the people that God has placed me in this position of speaking to every so often is just this reminder. Somebody's watching you everywhere you go. The next generation is watching you like that little one here this morning. Your kids, your students, your high school students, your friends, your acquaintances, the people around you, every single individual in this room is being watched by someone. And you have a lot to teach and a lot to display and a lot to show. How you handle life, how you handle circumstances, how you handle triumph, and how you handle tragedy. And my prayer is that we look at these individuals and say they really aren't any different from us. Ordinary individuals serving and following an extraordinary God. The God, my, my, may my life be one that others can watch and they'll learn and I'll watch and I'll learn and together we can accomplish amazing things for the glory of God by the lives that we live and the lessons that we learn. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for preserving your word, for this reminder even in my own life that these really are ordinary individuals serving an extraordinary God, and all of us in this room are as well. And so, Father, as we have watched his life in Nehemiah over the last few months, I trust that these lessons that we have learned, because we'll probably never under my ministry here return back to him, not just simply be great Bible stories or great Bible studies, but that in these last few months, the things that you have taught us and the lessons that we've learned will become life lessons and not just moment in time lessons. For the students at Knock who have watched Andrew and Mike and some of these other ones and for a lot of other people in this room here this morning who have had so many people learn and live, uh, learn from their lives, I trust that, God, that you will continue to use our lives as teaching tools to those who follow us. And that our kids and our grandkids and our neighbors and our friends and our work associates will watch our lives and learn so many things about us and so much about the God that we love and adore that will draw them to what we have found in you. So I thank you for preserving your word. I thank you for great lessons. And I trust that as all of us are teachers in one form or the other, that you help us to teach well and then help us to be students who learn well. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.